0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business and politics. Sponsored by AT&T, I'm Dan Premack. On today's show, how a big Las Vegas casino plans to bring sports betting to your phone and the secret Democratic Party plan to regulate big tech companies like Facebook. But first... Hacking the next election. We're just 99 days away from the midterms, and a lot of the Sunday show conversation yesterday was about election security. In fact, a lot of the Sunday show conversation since November 2016 has been about election security. You know, whether that be fake news on Facebook or those recent indictments of 12 Russian intelligence officers who, among other things, allegedly stole information on around half a million U.S. voters. Now, the big question here is, could we also be 99 days away from real devastating electoral interference, not just in influencing your vote, but actually maybe changing your vote after you've left the school gym or church basement, or maybe making it look like you voted when you didn't. Now, this used to kind of be just tinfoil hat stuff, but as more and more voting systems use at least some technology exposed to the internet, it's become a real serious concern for cybersecurity experts. For example, last year, a group of hackers showed that some voting machines could be wirelessly accessed in just 90 minutes. And that doesn't even address potential vulnerabilities at where the voting machines and their parts are manufactured or where they make the servers that keep the voter roll databases or all those devices that store and tabulate the vote totals. And that last one, that can even be relevant in polling places like mine, where we still use pencils and paper ballots. The bottom line is that the core of America's democracy isn't just its Bill of Rights. It's trust in the electoral process that the person who gets the most votes actually got the most votes and the tacit agreement that we'll all accept what our fellow citizens choose. If hackers were to destroy that trust, it could become America's own fail whale. In 30 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios reporter Shannon Vavra. But first, this from AT&T.
1: Here's a troubling pair of statistics. Only 2% of computing jobs are held by Latinas, even though Latinas account for 20% of all women in the U.S., That means there's a serious lack of relatable role models to help young Latinas realize the opportunities available to them. But AT&T is helping. AT&T supports a program called Tecnolachicas, a national initiative designed to raise awareness among young Latinas and their families about careers in tech. Stick around and we'll tell you how an AT&T employee became a Tecnolachica mentor and the way she's helping her own Hispanic community.
0: We're joined by Axios reporter Shannon Vavra, who's been covering all things election hacking. So, Shannon, my big question, on the evening of November 6th, can we trust the votes?
2: That's a very good question. And there's two questions there I'd like to expand a little bit. One is, will there be hacking or targeting of the systems where it's possible that they could be connected to the Internet and where it's possible someone can target them? And that's possible at this point. We know, right, the intelligence community has said that Russia is capable of hacking again and they're capable of going further than they did in 2016. But the second question there is, are we going to be able to double check whether the electronic tally of votes is different than how people actually voted or intended to vote? And the answer is not all the time. There are still five states that operate using direct recording electronic voting machines where you don't have a paper trail or a paper record of your votes to cross-check that. And there are nine other states where that sort of record keeping is also shoddy. And so there's not necessarily an 100% chance that we're going to be able to understand exactly if the election results we get is exactly how people voted.
0: I'm just curious, the fact that there's no paper records in those states and then kind of partial in the others, is that just a lack of paying attention? Is that a lack of funding? Why would you not have that at this point, given what we know?
2: And that goes back to in the early 2000s when we began switching over to electronic machines in the first place. After the hanging chad situation, then we decided that going to electronic voting machines would be safer. And that didn't actually end up creating any more certainty than we had in the first place. And there is a lack of funding at this point, right? States are strapped for funding in general. And in addition, just for election security, it's not going that well. We've got $380 million from Congress and the omnibus that was secured this year, but Repeated efforts from House Democrats at this point to secure more funding are being shot down over and over again. And there's simply not enough.
0: What are House Democrats trying to get generally? And more importantly, what's the argument for saying no to that? That would seem to be something bipartisan. We would like to know that the vote that I cast is the vote that is recorded that I cast.
2: House Democrats are working to get an additional $380 million at this point, and that could change Still, as we move forward in the funding and budgeting process this year, but the argument against that at this point is from Republicans. It seems to be that there was an authorized amount in the Help America Vote Act, which was created in two thousand two, that we have now shot over. Given the fact that we had three hundred eighty million that was doled out this year and is in the process of being used by states. And then to your question about whether people actually care about this, they do. There's a general awareness and an increasing sense of urgency among state election officials and folks on Capitol Hill, including lawmakers and staffers alike that this is something that needs to be addressed. But in terms of when this is going to change and be secured, we know that in a couple of states they're working to get paper records by about 2020, but it might not even happen by then.
0: That's in years from now. It doesn't deal with this midterms. You said that there was kind of two parts of this question. The first one was this issue of hacking the way we all kind of consider hacking both of campaigns and obviously of the elections themselves. Have we seen anything so far in this campaign season in terms of hacking of campaigns?
2: Yes, we have. And that's actually some of the latest information we have, we know that Senator Jean Shaheen has said that her team has been targets of attacks, as well as Senator Claire McCaskill. And in McCaskill's case, her team was targeted by hackers and they used spear phishing, which is one of the easiest ways to target folks, because all you have to do is click on a link and then you're sent to some site that looks legitimate, but it's really falsifying information where it will ask for your credentials. And Senator McCaskill said that her team was not successfully hacked. So in terms of the good news here, there's some, but it doesn't look like hackers are letting up this year, and that's exactly aligning with what the intelligence community told us was going to happen. Am I
0: right in saying it seems part of the problem here is you talked about all that money from Congress that is and isn't being allocated. And there's obviously a big demand from individual states and territories for that money. But part of that's because we do have this individual state system where every state has its own system. So you're talking about needing security for 50 or more different systems as opposed to one unified situation.
2: Absolutely. And that's actually part of the way that our election infrastructure is resilient. We do know that there's, as you said, there's 50 states, right? And each state has its own system. And within each state, there's the way poll books are run, there's the way voter registration is done, there's the way vote machines actually function. There's a different way in each state how, and even in each jurisdiction, how all of that information is then funneled back into jurisdiction offices, larger state offices, and then how that's reported on election night is all vastly different. And so, in terms of if you are an adversary and you're trying to hack into our election and really go for it, and you might only be able to target a couple of places. at once and then on the other hand That does raise the question of, well, if there are only a couple of swing states, right, or there's only a couple of districts where you'd have to tweak some votes, you can actually be really impactful if you are able to hack in. But that also raises the other question is, how likely is it that you're actually able to hack into a voting machine?
0: So how likely is it these hackers got in in 90 minutes? Is that a reasonable thing that you're going to see somebody sitting in the corner of a school gym with their laptop and get into these things?
2: Not necessarily. I definitely temper that fear and that concern. But just because there's not a certainty that something will happen, there's still a risk that it could happen. And so that's why why election security folks focus on this so much and, and point out the vulnerabilities.
0: This is all in the context of kind of the cybersecurity coordinator role in the White House disappearing and the FBI starting to bleed cybersecurity experts. So I guess in 99 days, we'll know better if all of this kind of comes home to roost. Thank you very much to Shannon Vavra. My final two on the brave new world of sports betting and what's going to happen to big tech companies in Congress is after this.
1: AT&T's ultimate vision to create a pipeline was explored by Emily Villeda principe From college scholarship to summer internship to AT&T employee, Emily is now giving back by mentoring other young Latinas. Programs like Tecnolachica's Matter, and more importantly, so do people like Emily, because creating diversity in the computing workforce can specifically improve the economic outlook of the Hispanic community. It's why our employees don't just work in their communities, but work for them, leveling the playing field and enabling everyone to rise up. AT&T is proud of employees like Emily and wants to keep supporting programs that help employees give back.
0: And now time for my final two. And the first up has to do with sports betting in the U.S., which used to be basically illegal everywhere outside of Nevada. MGM Resorts, which operates some of those big Vegas casinos like the Bellagio and the Mirage, today struck a deal with a British bookmaker to launch an online sports betting platform in the U.S., which it estimates could hit about 90 million Americans. Now, this is legal because the Supreme Court back in May struck down a law that stopped individual states from legalizing sports betting, which is why you can now place wagers in states like New Jersey and Delaware. What we also saw today was a major provider of sports betting data was bought by a private equity firm. And DraftKings is out there trying to raise new money to create its own sports betting site, kind of like it wasn't allowing sports betting in the first place. Now, why all this matters is this is an expanding trend. People are investing here because they expect it to continue to grow and grow. And so Vegas is coming to your phone, even if your phone isn't coming to Vegas. And finally, Axios's David McCabe today reports that Democratic Senator Mark Warner has been quietly circulating a policy paper on how to address issues posed by big tech platforms like Facebook and Google. So he's got 20 possible fixes. Some include putting a price on user data and funding media literacy programs. He even has a proposal to make these companies liable for defamation. For example, even if there was those so-called deep fake videos or photos of you on there. But what's not in there is actually breaking up any of these big companies. Kind of a new antitrust platform, which is something the Democrats actually floated last summer. And the bottom line here is that the tech clash, it continues to simmer a bit beneath the surface, particularly among Democrats. But for now, Democrats basically have no power to do anything about it. So policy papers is all we'll get, at least until next January. And we're done. Thanks to producers Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers. And be sure to follow us all day at axios.com and sign up for my pro rata newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Cheesecake Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast.